Well, good morning. Uh, we're so thankful that you're here today because we get to uh, demonstrate God's love. We get to love on one another and glorify his holy, precious name. If you're a visitor or a guest, we're so glad to have you with us as an opportunity uh, to share God's love with you. Uh, so feel free to fellowship with us uh, and enjoy uh, this opportunity that we have together. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a series called Exists to Exalt. That uh, it reminds us of our very purpose, of why we were created. The Bible says that we were created in his likeness, in his image. And the image means there was a reflection of God in each and every one of us. And then the likeness means to follow after him. The Bible says, be ye holy, for I am holy. God was saying that I'm holy, and he wants us to follow in that same footstep, in that same path. And understanding that way, way, way years ago, uh, when man was in the garden, there was a time of man turning away from God. And God said that the moment that we eat of that fruit, the moment that we were disobedient, we would surely die. In other words, that means that we would be separated, broken from him. Because that truly what death is, is to be separated from our holy God. And we're separated from the plan and the purpose that he has for each and every one of us. But we know because of his love and mercy, he's called all men back to him. He's drawing us back to him by his sweet, sweet spirit so that we can be reminded of our very purpose, why we're here, to exalt his holy name, to lift him up. Above anything else, to lift him up. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto us. Can anybody testify that we can't outgive God? Amen? That he is so good that, that, that uh, he just showers his blessings upon us. And so we're going to continue our series today. Uh, last week we talked about why do we exalt him? And so we looked at that first part. Today we're going to look at the second part of that, of why we exalt him. And so I want to recap a little bit of what we talked about last week. Uh, we began by reminding ourselves of the scripture reference for this entire this series is Psalms 99 verse 5 which says, exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Exalt him, lift him up. The Lord, the sweet, precious Abba Father, our God, and worship, give him praise, give him honor, give him glory at his footstool, that we would just surrender ourselves to sit at his feet and knowing that he's a holy king, a, a righteous king, and that he has a throne of glory. And we're going to talk a little bit about that throne of glory today. So the primary reason why we exalt God is because he is our holy king. He's not just holy, but he's also a king. He has king's dominion. He has authority. He has all power. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. That we can feel his presence and know his majesty. And he's worthy of our continual praise and adoration. So we also exalt him for what he's done. And that's what we talked about last week, all the things that he's done, and the plans and the preparation that he had to restore us back in right relationship with him. So part one looked at, looked at the preparation for relationship living, reminding ourselves that we were always called to be in relationship with God. So we looked at that. We knew that he wanted to be in relationship with mankind. He created us and put us in the garden. He gave us a purpose. He gave us parameters to live by. Parameters are good, right? Everybody give their kids parameters, right? And he says, follow these rules and you'll be blessed. 
and our relationship would maintain. We know that our relationship was lost and there was a need for us to be restored back to him. And so the mechanism that God used to restore us back is his very own begotten son. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh in the form of man to give himself a ransom for us all. That ransom was a kingdom, kingly ransom. He prayed a heavy cost for us to redeem us back. And so in that redemptive uh, act, it created salvation for each and every one of us, for us to be saved. He died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, and then he was ro- he raised on the third day for our salvation so that sin would no longer have the power of death, that it would no longer have the sting of the grave, and that we could walk in newness of life. And so after salvation, God established the church. We know that power was given to the disciples when Jesus ascended into the heavens. He said, all power is given unto, you, unto man. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. And the mechanism we use for this process is the, is the local church. And so he established the church. In those early days, 3,000 came to God in one day. They felt the presence of God. They knew that God was moving. He allowed them to speak in all their different languages. And men and women came flooding to repent and accept Christ and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and their lives to be transformed. And they became the church of Jesus Christ. And so they were endowed with power. They were given commands to edify one another, lift each other up, be in relationship with one another. And then God allowed that his holy word would be written as letters for us to have that instruction book. Second Timothy reminds us that the word of God is given to us for reproof. What that means is a strong rebuke when we're doing something wrong to let us know we're doing something wrong. For correction, to correct us and let us know the right way to go. For instruction in righteousness, to understand how we should live our life on this earth. And so the word of God is God, we see that in the scriptures, and it became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, and Jesus ministered to the people, but then we knew that Jesus weren't going to be here in the flesh forever. So God allowed his holy word to be written so that we would have that instruction book. And so we see this preparation, and we can exalt him for all he has done, redeemed us, want relationship with us gave us a church body to be together, and gave us his holy word to lead us and guide us, to direct us. But if you ever heard that saying, if God never did anything else for me, he's done more than I ever deserve. See, we could stop right there and still say we're blessed of God and we're thankful because our eternal resting place, once we've accepted Christ, allowed him to come in, repented of our sins, Given our life to God and not try to do it for ourselves, our eternal resting place is heaven. And that's something to rejoice about. That's something to be thankful about. But God didn't stop there. There's so much more for us to exalt his name. There's so much more for us to glorify him for. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about from here on. Many of you that accepted Christ and you ever had that feeling like, well, what next? I've done it. I made a decision. I've given my life to him. I stepped out in faith and said, I'll trust you. And then we go, 
man, there's a lot of stuff in this world that's still distracting. There's a lot of stuff in this world that can hinder me from serving him. And it seems like the things, like Paul said, the things that I want to do, I do not. And the things that I don't want to do, it seems like that's what I keep doing. Paul said it this way. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? Because, see, we gave our heart to him. We gave our spirit, but we're still in this flesh. And there's a struggle and there's a warring going on. And so as a Christian, we can still feel not enough. Anybody ever been there? We can still feel inept. We can even have doubts about, am I really saved? Did I really give my heart over to him? And we can struggle with that. So I believe God wants to minister to us the what next. and wants to remind us of his plans and purposes for us. And so as we think about exalting him for what he has already done, we also need to exalt him because he understands the difficult times ahead. And he's planned so much for us to see us through. See, his plans for our effective, righteous living here on earth and our future life to rule and reign with Christ is something to exalt him because he has a plan for that. To be eternal in the heavens is worthy of our praise and exalting him. So let me talk about that a little bit. So he knew that there would be times of persecution and temptation. He knew at the moment that we accepted Christ that some family member would say, what's wrong with you? He knew at the moment accepting Christ that some of your friends would walk away. But see, Jesus said it this way. He said, unless a man forsake mother and father, brother and sister, he's not worthy to be my disciple. See, he wasn't saying give up on them and, and, and cast them out. But he was saying that their opinion doesn't matter as much as mine does. That my will for your life must be first. It must be the part that we hold on tighter than anything else. And so he knew that there would be that persecution. He also knew that there would be those times where the flesh would try to take over. And there would be those temptations. And before we accept the Christ, it was easy to just follow those temptations and be led by them. But after accepting Christ, there's a war going on on the inside of us. And we don't want to give in to those temptations. And so we have that hard walk of faith. And God sees that hard walk. He sees those times of just going through it in the midnight hour. And we're feeling so defeated and so weak. And he reminds us that his grace is sufficient for us. See, that's the thing that I want to talk to you a little bit about. Because sometimes we look at that grace and we just think grace is just the salvation part of it. But it's so, so much more. See, the word grace means it's unmerited favor, that we didn't do anything to earn it, but God's favor is upon us. See, grace has already always existed, but it manifested itself in the form of his grace for salvation. And also that we would be able to succeed in this world through his favor upon the plans and purposes that he has for us. You ever been in a situation and you're just like, I don't know how I succeeded in that. I don't know how I got over when it seemed like there was so much coming against me. But God, in his infinite wisdom and grace, I shared with you a story way back at the back end of my career where a general officer sat down and gave me a general officer letter of reprimand, a career killer. And I'm looking at that letter, and I knew within my heart I had done 
no wrong. I had done what God had called me to do. And God had told me to keep my mouth closed until it was the right time to say something. And after he had finished counseling me and finished telling me all these, these things that, were, that wasn't done right, and then he asked me, he said, do you have anything to say? I said, sir, I understand what you're saying. There's a lot that needs to be fixed. But this is not my job, and it never was. And this belongs to someone else. See, my boss had never said that. He had never walked in there and said, Jeff is not responsible for this. My boss actually told me to take it. And, my, and the general officer heard those words. He ripped that letter up. And he said, Jeff, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that that wasn't your job. God had fought that battle. There was no argument. There was no trying to convince. Just allowing God to stand in there, to stand with me, his grace and his mercy. See, God also knew we would feel forsaken just as Jesus felt forsaken. See, unless a man leave mother and father, he is not worthy. He also knew we would need our eyes open to understand it all, that we would go through this world and there would be times that we just wouldn't understand. And so that our eyes would be open and allowing God to show us his perfect plan. He also knew we would need to be reminded of his eternal reward, that he has a reward for each and every one of us. So let me look a little bit closer at the part of grace if you have your Bibles, if you have your tablets, your phones, turn with me to Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 14 through 16. It talks about our compassionate high priest. It says this in Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it says, let us. See, allow yourself, therefore, to come boldly unto the throne of his unmerited favor. For see, he is a great high priest, that goes before God for his people. Can you see that? Jesus Christ going before God for you? See, he partitions for God's unmerited favor upon us as we come before the throne of his favor, that we shouldn't be bashful about coming before the throne of God because Jesus is waiting to petition God for us. But there's some things that we need to understand about Jesus, the high priest. What does it mean that Jesus is our high priest? So I want to just take a historical look at a few things here. The first one is before the law, we see this word high priest being utilized. It's during the time of Abraham, and Abraham has left his people. He left with Lot. Lot took one area of land, and Abraham took another. We know that Lot, at some point, is captured by an invading nation, an invading people. And Abraham leaves to go now to rescue his nephew Lot. And after he goes and attacks and God gives him favor to defeat these people and, grab and get his nephew back as he's returning, he runs into King Melchizedek. 
Melchizedek is not only the king of Solomon, but he is the priest of the Most High God. So he's dual-headed as a king and as a priest, a priest to serve God and God alone. And so as he meets up with Abraham, he blesses Abraham. God gives him the blessing. And then Abraham gives Melchizedek a tithe, a tenth of all the spoils that he had gotten from defeating this nation. And see, that represented that he was giving to the Lord, that he was honoring the Lord for what he had done. By this act, Abraham acknowledged Melchizedek's high position as the priest of God, as the representative of God. So we see that before the law. We also see during the law that Abraham's grandson, Levi, would be called to be a priest and his entire family as the Levitical priests of the nation of Israel with the responsibility for making intercession to God for the people by offering the many sacrifices that were required of the law. Each week, month, year, they would have these sacrifices for, for their sins over and over and over again. Among the priests was selected a high priest, and he entered into the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement to place the blood of the sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant. So he would go into the Holy of Holies. Remember, they used to put a rope around him because he had to sanctify himself, be pure. And if he had an evil thought, if he had something that wasn't clean, by being in the place of the Holy of Holies, he would drop dead, and they would have to drag him out. And so this was a special place only for the high priest to be in. And so we see the before the law, we see doing the law, and now we see the fulfillment of the law in Jesus Christ. When Jesus is called our high priest, it is with reference to both these previous priesthoods. Like Melchizedek, he, ordained, he was ordained as a priest apart from the law, given on Mount Sinai. Like the Levitical priest, Jesus offered us a sacrificial sacrifice to the law of God when he offered himself for our sins. No lambs, no goats, him, his very own self, the sacrifice and the high priest. Unlike the Levitical priests who had to continually offer sacrifices, Jesus only had to offer his sacrifice once, gaining eternal redemption for all who come to God through him. So he's worthy to be our high priest. One other important point about Jesus' priesthood, every priest is appointed from among man. We saw that. Jesus, through God from eternity, became man in order to suffer death and to serve as our high priest. God sent him himself to suffer and to serve. As a man, he was subject to all the weaknesses and temptations that we are so that he could personally relate to us in our struggles, in our times of weaknesses. Jesus is greater than any other priest petitioning for us, going to God for us. So he is called our great high priest in Hebrews 4.14. And that gives us the boldness to come unto the throne of grace, being bold about coming to God, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So don't try to do it for ourselves. He's right there. He's waiting for us. He's finished the work. And we can trust his love 
and his unmerited favor for us. But there are some times that we will still feel forsaken. We'll feel like in this world as we're serving the Lord that we're only doing it by ourselves. And we'll feel like Elijah that we want to just run to a cave and hide because the weight seems heavy and to feel like there's hell all around us. So I believe that's how King David felt in the book of Songs when so much was going on in his life. When they were trying to kill him, when it seemed like his own family didn't love him, when they were out to get him. And he said some words in Psalm 22, the 22nd chapter, that's reminiscent to us, that were said after he said them, that will remind us of a very point. If you turn with me to Psalms 22, verse 1, he said these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you heard those words before? See, David was the first one to say them. Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, see, the reality of it is at the moment that we accept Christ, we become an enemy to the devil. He already hated us because we're God's creation, but now we become a worthy foe that he wants to destroy. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And so we understand that there's an adversary that's going to be fighting against us. And so often it's going to feel like God has forsaken us. And we'll be tempted to say those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then David thought a little bit and he continued to seek the Lord. And he was reminded of these very points. In verse 26 and verse 27, the poor shall eat and be satisfied. See, it doesn't matter, no matter how low we get, God's riches abound. God's blessings are before us. And even though we feel like we don't have so much in this world, we are rich beyond measure. He says, the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. See, the battle is in the heart. See, so often... We keep it in the mind, and we don't allow God's word and God's victory to get down in our heart. See why? As long as it stays in the mind, we'll feel like we're forsaken. But once it gets into the heart, we know that we are redeemed, and we are the blessed of the Lord. Our heart reminds us that we'll live forever. And then he went on to say, at the ends of the world, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. So let me give you a glimpse of that. See, the things that you're doing and the things that God is allowing you to do through the Holy Spirit and through his grace and mercy, sometimes it seems like nobody sees it. Sometimes it seems like they're just rejecting you when they're actually rejecting him. But there's a time coming when they will remember the sacrifices of the saints, the afflictions, the trials, and it will cause many to turn to the Lord. Because of you, because you were willing to go through it, they will remember him. And then there will also be those that will reject it. See, the reality of it is not everybody's going to accept the gospel. Not everybody's going to accept that Jesus Christ died for them. And that they don't have to work for it. They just have to repent and receive, to step out in faith and say, I'm going to trust you. And so there will also be those that will stand before the Lord and worship him. The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. 
They'll know. They'll be in their sin. They'll perish because of it, but they will know. So God will restore and redeem all that was lost, even our trials. See, I love what Al Green said. He said, if I never had a test or trial, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. See, we need to know that God can solve them all. And that even though it feels like sometimes hell on this earth, if you're in Christ, this is the worst that it'll ever be. And we can trust him. He also wants to open our eyes that we see his beautiful plan for us. While we're walking in faith that we're able to see and understand what God has for us. There's this great plan that God has for each and every one of us. It's vital that we allow ourselves to see it and understand it. Turn with me to Ephesians 1, 18 through 19. Ephesians 1, verse 18 through 19 says this, The eyes of your understanding being lightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, that we would be able to discern the power of God that we would be able to discern the righteous steps of God and go that way. Have you ever had a time where you, as a parent, you looked at your kids and, and they were saying they were about to do something and you were like, don't do that. You were able to easily discern that that wasn't the right thing to do, right? But what your kids go like, Mom, why are you pity partying on my, on my plans? Because their eyes couldn't see it yet. And I love, I just love when our, our kids come back to us and they say, Mom and Dad, you were right. <laughs> it don't happen that often, right? But Mom and Dad, you were right. And you see these lights go off, and you see that they see, and it gives us great joy because it's, it can only go so far if we see, but when they see. See, God's the same way as a father. He wants us to see. He wants the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened, for us to know the hope of his calling for our life, that he's anointed us, that he's placed a holy calling upon us, and that he wants to use us in a mighty way so that others would see the riches of his glory and that we would understand how rich we are in him. See, knowing the hope of his calling helps us to know who we are in him. Knowing the riches of the glory of his inheritance helps us to know whose we are, that we serve a rich God and that he has abundant blessings for many. Knowing the exceeding greatness of his power toward us words is that he has a plan and purpose to lead us into perfect righteousness, to lead us into eternal reward. That's wrought, verse 20 talks about that's wrought in Christ, that's worked out, beaten out, shaped in our relationship with Christ. So it's not going to be an instantaneous thing. It's not McDonald's where it's going to be fast food, it's not Dairy Queen or 21 Flavors, Baskin-Robbins, right? There's a working out for us to truly understand all that God has for us. And just like Job, after he went through all of those trials and went through all of those afflictions, we see at the end of the story, he said, I've heard you with the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. He says, I abhor myself. I realize that there ain't a whole lot of good in me wanting to do it for myself. There ain't a whole lot of good in me trying to work it out for myself. I abhor myself, and I repent. I change my mind, and I seek after you. And God wants that for all of us. As we allow ourselves to see him, we can't help but exalt him. As we allow ourselves to learn of him, we can't help but give him praise. 
See, if we're not giving him praise, if we're not exalting him, we're probably not seeing him. We're probably not knowing him in his sweet, intimate way. Because I don't know about you, but when I realize how good God is, and I see his grace and mercy and favor upon me each and every day, I can't help but give him praise and glorify his holy, precious name. Because if it wasn't for him, where would I be? See, I know I'd be dead. I know I would be destroyed. I know I would be broken, and so would you. But because his love, and he didn't want to forsake any of us, and he loved you so much. See, make it personal. If all the rest of us was gone and it was only you, God would have done it all and would be doing it for you because we can't even fathom his love and how much he loves us. And how much he hopes for us for the future. So as we sing that song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I may see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. In Matthew, the 25th chapter, verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, which side are you going to be standing on? Because God is saying all the afflictions, all the trials that we're going through right now, there's a day coming when he's going to come in all of his glory and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Enter in. I prepared it for you. No more suffering. No more trials. So that you would enter into God's perfect righteousness. That you would understand all that he has you. No more weeping. No more turning within our soul, but entering into his glory. See, that's what he has for you. So that man could say that God, no man could say God was unfair. God didn't love me. And when he separates and you're on that goat side, you'll know that that's where you should be. Because you chose to separate yourself. But if you're on that sheep side, you talk about a party. And here's the thing. God doesn't want us to just wait till we get there. He wants us to rejoice in it today. Rejoice, I say. Rejoice in the Lord. For he's worthy of our exaltation. Amen? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's worthy. He's worthy.